Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. Welcome to those watching online and those here on site. And look at your neighbor and tell them, won't you reach your neighbor? How how many uh, Mr. Rogers fans do we have in here? I know we talked about that last week. As you're just watching this, it brings up so many childhood memories, so much nostalgia with the trolley, Daniel the Tiger, the sweaters. I can still picture myself sitting in my childhood living room watching Mr. Rogers. How many of you guys can just picture yourself with those sounds coming in? It's crazy how a song and a set can take you back to your childhood. But we really want this morning to set you up. And Mr. Rogers fans, how many of y'all love Torchies Tacos or Starbucks? How many of you guys would like to get some Torchies today? So if you're truly a Mr. Rogers fan, we're going to test your knowledge by asking some questions. So you're going to raise your hand. I'm going to call you out. Mark's going to go down there. And if you can answer this question, you will get a Starbucks gift card or Torchy. So here's the first question. First one answered. In what city was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood recorded? Raise your hand real quick. In what city? We got one. We got right there. Let's see if we're right. Pittsburgh. That's right. Pittsburgh. Give him Torch. Yes. It was a, a PBS-affiliated WQED in Pittsburgh. They're filming. Okay. This was a good one. I don't know if anybody gets this one. Where did Mr. Rogers get his sweaters from? Anybody know? Okay, we, we got that right there. Let's see what we got right there. We got some Mr. Rogers trivia. His mom. That's right. I, do you know his mom made every single sweater? Didn't know that. Wow, we got some, you guys are robust in your Mr. Knowledge. Hopefully you guys know theology as big as uh, Mr. Rogerology, right? I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. The names King, Queen, and Prince of the Neighborhood of Make-Believe Land included which days? Does anybody, anybody know? Anybody know? Okay, we got right there. We'll see. Man. Okay, see, let's see where we got it. Thursday? Okay. That's the only one I know. Okay, okay, right. <laughs> it's actually Friday, Saturday, and Tuesday. But let's give him an A for effort, boy, man. It's King Friday the 8th. Sarah Saturday and Prince Tuesday. Okay, here's, here's another one. Get a chance for some torches or Starbucks. Who wrote the music that was played in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Anybody know who wrote the music? Oh, Anybody else? Barry Anybody else Manilow. Know? Who did? Barry Manilow. Barry Manilow! It, it was actually Mr. Fred Rogers. You know he was a trained <laughs> musician. But it's, he was a composer. And he wrote all the songs on the, uh, on the show as long as well as 200 other songs. So now this is kind of a group, group one. This is, this is like urban legends of Mr. Rogers. True or false? Was Mr. Rogers colorblind? Who says he was? True. Who says he wasn't? False. He actually was colorblind. That's why he always wore a red sweater. I don't know if that's why, but he could not distinguish the difference between red and green. He was colorblind. So now this is the one that I really wanted to know. I heard this rumor growing up as a kid. It was an urban legend, and I had to do some research. Mr. Rogers was a sniper in the U.S. Army. How many of you guys heard that? Yeah, yeah. Changes the whole way that you sing the song. And he... <laughs> right? How many of you guys say Mr. Rogers was a sniper? That's true. Okay, a couple, a couple people. How many of you guys say he wasn't a sniper? 
Well, here we come. False. He was, he never served in the military and he was not, he never shot anybody. Man, I, I couldn't watch Mr. Rogers if I knew he shot somebody. Won't you be my neighbor? No, I don't want to be your neighbor, bro. No, no. You know, it wasn't until preparing this series that I realized the significance Mr. Rogers played in our culture. You know, do you know, during the late 80s, his show was reaching 1.8 million homes per episode. And I thought about it. One of the main reasons that his show reached so many people for so long is Mr. Rogers literally cared for people. It exuded through the airwaves and into our living rooms. And there are so many things that he did. For example, every time Mr. Rogers would go and he would feed the fish. Remember he'd feed the fish? He would say this, I'm feeding the fish. Do you know why he said that? He said that every single time because of a letter he got from a young little blind girl, an eight-year-old girl who was worried that the fish were hungry. And she wrote him this letter. He said, Dear Mr. Rogers, please say when you're feeding the fish because I worry about them. I can't see if you're feeding them, so please say you're feeding them out loud. Katie, five years old. Because of one letter, every time he fed the fish, he was thinking about Katie. Here's what Mr. Rogers understood. That his influence and his calling was bigger than his set. It was bigger than his neighborhood. It was bigger than the little world that he lived in. But he understood that he had a purpose that was far beyond Pittsburgh. That his calling was to reach people he would never see, he would never meet, and he took that responsibility seriously. And let, let me tell you here at Freedom Church, one thing that we believe is every person matters to God. And we believe as Christ followers that God has called us to reach people we will never see, we will never meet, we will never hear their voices, I mean, outside this side of eternity. Here's what I've learned, that God is bigger than Round Rock, Texas. He's bigger than 2330 Dry Creek. He's bigger than 1205 Round Rock Avenue. Here's what I know, God's even bigger than Texas, right? God's bigger than the United States of America. God has a plan for the entire world. And we have neighbors and parts of the world that are relying on us to share the gospel. And I thought this is a strategic time. Our world is going through a lot right now, right? I don't know if you've been watching the news, but a lot going on in Afghanistan and Haiti. And I think it'd be important if we stop right now. Can we pray right now for Afghanistan? Can we pray for Haiti? Can we realize that God has called us to more than just us four and no more and just the people in this church, but to reach the world? Father, I thank you. Lord, you have a calling on us as a church and as your people. And Lord, our hearts are broken for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, the people of Afghanistan. Lord, is this horrible, Lord God, and city's group is causing so much pain. I pray for, for your people as they flee. I pray for the underground church. I pray for women and children. I pray that you would intervene, Lord. I, I know I've just been overwhelmed and sometimes with, with just dread and hurt for the people, Lord, but we pray for them. We lift as they, would you protect them? Would you be with them? Would you intervene? And Lord God, would your church, I pray that your church would rise up with, ver with so much power and vitality that you would empower them like never before, that the Holy Spirit would sustain stain them God and with the enemy meant for bad you would turn for good your church is always shining moments like that your church is the hope of the world Lord and sometimes we're inspired by the church Lord as we see in Africa and we pray for our brothers there we pray for people in Haiti Lord I got reports of Pastor Rivenson a friend of mine who lost a 15 year old girl in his church from the earthquakes we pray for Convoy of Hope. We pray for the people that are there, boots on the ground. We pray for missionaries. We pray, God, that you would be with them. And Jesus, what I pray, just put your hand on your heart, Lord. Open my heart for the world.
realize that your plan is bigger than me. It's bigger than my family. It's bigger, God, than Texas. Expand it, Jesus. Like Mr. Rogers, may we see beyond our neighborhood and care for every person. Amen. I thought it would be strategic to bring one of our missionaries, an incredible man who's planted churches all over the world, my friend Jacob Jester, and he's going to share with you God's heart for neighbors that you don't even know. Pastor Jacob, so glad you're here. Amen. Man, so excited uh, to be with you in Freedom Church in Round Rock, Texas, Pastor Benito. He and I met years ago doing church plant coaching together, and uh, it's a real privilege. I love what God is doing here, and I continue to pray with you and for you for what God is going to continue to do in Round Rock, Te- Round Rock Texas. Amen? Amen? We're excited. We're, we're believing God for amazing things. I want to I go ahead and very quickly get into what I believe the Lord has shared with me to give to you, and but I also wanted to briefly tell you a little bit about my family as I get into the message. My wife, Kristen, and I, she and I have been married for 17 years. Uh, we've got three children. We've got Jude, who's 13 years old, who was born with a big head. And then we've got Cruz, who's 11 years old, and he was born with a big head. And we've got Indy, who's five, and she was born with a normal-sized head. And honestly, that made us very happy. Because my mom says that my head is the same size today as it was the day that I was born. So we've learned to deal with situations like this in our family. And when we had a normal-headed child, it made my heart leap. Because if you struggle with big-headed problems, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Uh, The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 9, it'll be on the screen, in Matthew chapter number 9, verse number 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. I want you to notice that there's a word there that is used in the scripture. It says the word his. The word his has a a very possessive connotation to it, a possessive overtone to it. In other words, it means that the harvest does not belong to you and I. However, I believe that the harvest is part of our responsibility. I believe that the harvest of sons and daughters experiencing what you and I have experienced as Christ followers is a part of our responsibility, not just as Freedom Church, but as people who believe that we have become rescued by Jesus Christ himself. The word there, the word possessive is His. I think that you and I, as the church of Jesus Christ, are called to be a part of a harvest that reaches Round Rock, Texas, Austin, Texas, the state of Texas, and goes beyond our neighbor lines into the world that is far beyond what we know or what we've been able to imagine. I think that God has a responsibility that He's laying upon us to be a part of a harvest that changes the world that we're a part of even right now. So I call this message, The Sheep Need a Shepherd. It, it, it's about this man by the name of Moses. Maybe you've heard of Moses. I've always loved the story of Moses my entire life. I've, I've been drawn to the story of Moses. I, I find that when Moses was born, Moses was born into a time of chaos. When Moses was born, Moses wasn't born into a time of peace or prosperity for his people. Moses was born into a time in which the leader of the land of of Egypt, the Pharaoh, had dictated that every boy born to a Hebrew woman was to be killed immediately on the birth stool. Can you imagine what that must have been like? 
For Hebrew mothers to have the door burst open as soldiers would come in to take the life of their baby boy at the moment of birth, it must have been devastating. See, I'm I'm the father of three children. I love my boys. I love my big-headed boys and my perfect daughter. I love that God has given me these children. I love my kids. I remember when my son Jude was born. When he was born, I thought to myself, I am going to love this child and it's going to be the greatest thing in my life. And the truth is, when Jude was born, my whole life was changed forever, dramatically changed in a moment. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stare at him. I wanted to look at him. I didn't want to go away. And then when my wife said that we're expecting our second child, I thought, there's no way. I got too much love for this kid. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that one. And then when Cruz was born, I found that I had love coming from places I didn't expect love to come from. I fell in love with the second human child, a human baby child. I fell in love with another boy. And then when my wife told me a few years later, five years later, she said, we're going to have our third child. I thought to myself again, there's no way. These two kids demand all of my attention, all of my time, all of my effort. And you're telling me that I'm supposed to love a third child? I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And then when that little brown-eyed girl was born to me and I held her in my arms for the very first time, I realized that you can, as a parent, have a favorite. And this one became my favorite in the moment. I was like, I love you too, but this is my favorite. She is the one that I'm really going to give my attention to. And the truth is, I love my kids, and so it should come as no surprise. I bet there's not a single mother or father in the room that when you looked at that baby child, that girl, that boy, after nine months of trauma and nine months of struggle, going through the difficulty of having a baby, I promise you there's not a single mother or father in the room that looked at that baby. Really? <laughs> this, this, this is it, huh? Thanks, Jesus. I promise you we were all in love in the moment. And when I saw my kids, I was in love. So it should come as no surprise. The Bible tells us that when Moses' mother and father saw him, one version says that he was special. Another version says they looked at him and saw that he was unique. Another one even says that he was beautiful. And the Bible tells us that they hid Moses for three months until Moses was too big to be able to be cared for. So they took Moses, put him in a reed basket, put the reed basket into the Nile River, set the reed basket into the river to float away. But it's, it's no surprise, the Bible tells us, that the place they put Moses into the water happened to be the place where the Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe, came to swim in the water. She took him. Moses was raised in the home of the man who'd wanted him killed. Moses became raised in the home of the man who wanted him to die. Moses should have been raised in poverty, but he was raised in the lap of luxury. Moses should have been raised as a pauper, but Moses was raised as a prince. It's a reminder to you and me that the providence of God always understands the situation that we're in, even when you and I do not. Even when we don't understand the struggle, God knows exactly where we are. He's never been caught off guard by your pain. He's never been caught off guard by your heartache. He's never been caught off guard by your brokenness. That's the goodness of God. Even though the struggle is very real, He understands where we are in the middle of the struggle. He understands what we're going through in the middle of the struggle. And so I find the Bible tells us that Moses one day probably started to know that he wasn't like everybody else. His mother probably started to tell him who he was. The scripture says that one day Moses walked out onto a field, saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and Moses, in a fit of anger, snapped 
and killed the Egyptian. And for the next 40 years, Moses wandered in the desert as a shepherd, as a sheep herder, as an exile from the land that he'd grown up in until one day he comes upon a burning bush. He comes upon a burning bush that's not being consumed, that's on fire, but isn't disintegrating. And the Lord speaks to Moses from the bush. And he says to Moses, I want you to go back to the land that you've run from and say to the Pharaoh, let my people go. I want to draw your attention to what Moses told God. He said, Lord, find someone else. The definition for the word Lord is master. It's chief, chieftain. Moses told God, Lord, no. There are going to be times in your life, I believe, especially as you begin to pursue God the way that you know God's calling you to pursue Him. There will be times in your life in which you will experience a burning bush moment. A moment that you cannot fully define. A moment that you can't necessarily quantify. A moment that you experience God and you know that the Lord is asking you to do something irregular. In those moments, it is incumbent upon you and I to believe that if God has called us to it, God can get us through it. If God has called us to the moment, He will lead us through the moment. If God asks you to do something that requires you fully trust in Him, and the answer that you give God in the moment is no, I don't believe He's truly our master at all. If He's actually master, then we respond to Him with yes. We respond to Him with the best thing that we have. And I want to I want to kind of skip ahead for just a moment. I think the best thing that you can give God is your yes to Him in every situation that requires you fully trust and rely upon Him. God has always been a God that asks you and I for the greatest thing inside of us to be fully devoted to Him. And oftentimes, it's more than just my submission to church on Sunday morning. It's more than just my tithe. It's more than just my time. Sometimes it's more than my talent. Do you know the greatest thing that you can give God? It's your yes. And maybe you know the rest of the story. Moses finds himself standing in front of Pharaoh. And after Moses finally says yes to God, two million people who'd been in slavery in the land of Egypt for the last 435 years go free because Moses gave God that simple word. Moses gave God, yes. I want you to begin to process with me for just a moment. What would happen to Freedom Church if every person in the building in the 930 service today on Sunday, August the 22nd, what would happen to Freedom Church? What could happen to Round Rock, Texas? What could happen around the world if our answer to God this morning, standing in front of a burning bush, was simply yes. Yes, you have my all. Yes, you have my best. Yes, you have my now, my future. You have everything that I have. What could happen to this place and our future if the only thing we were willing to give God when God asked us what we could give Him was our yes? Because when you give God yes, everything that He wants from you comes following behind your obedience. That's right. That's right. See, I've, I've always loved my life, and I feel like the Lord has been challenging me lately. <clears throat> I feel like he's been challenging me because I find myself now uh, as a new homeowner and, and I'm a new homeowner and I'm, I'm proud of that. But my my wife has asked me to to take on some projects I don't have the ability to do by myself. She said, let's buy a house with character. Do you all know what that means? <clears throat> yes, it means an old house. And, and I need you to understand something. I, I'm not a handyman. I've got a three-inch screwdriver that came with the TV we bought 10 years ago. 
That's all I got. That's my ability. That's the, the stretch that I have right there. If I can fix it with the three-inch screwdriver, and come on, I've got determination. So a lot of things have been done with the three-inch screwdriver. I can't lie. But I don't have a lot of ability. Some of you guys in the room, you go and you rustle through the Taco Bell wrappers and the floorboard of your car and you find enough, enough tools to fix somebody else's project. I'm not that person. And so I noticed that issues are happening in my house. My wife texted me yesterday. She said, the faucet or the, the shower head in my shower is leaking. I said, yes, I understand this is a problem. <laughs> About an hour later, she texts me again. She says, it's really leaking. I said, send me a video. She said, maybe. I eventually got that video and I said, yes, I understand this is a problem. Sometimes I don't know how to respond because I know it's a problem. I don't know what to do about the problem. I don't know what to do about the situation. I noticed, I noticed that there are places in my floor because we've got hardwood floors. I noticed that there are places in my floor that creak when I step on them. They, they creak and they've got a little bit of give. And I'll be honest with you, that scares me to death. I'm afraid I'm going to fall to my death when I walk into my kitchen. You ever walked into your kitchen hungry and angry at the same time? What do we call that? You're hangry? Now, you should never walk into a kitchen with creaking floors when you're hangry late at night with a lot of vibration. Because I promise you, there will come a day you will fall into the basement. And I know y'all don't have a lot of basements in Texas, but I, I'm afraid of these things because I don't have the ability to take care of it by myself. So I wonder what's going to happen. And so I, I enunciated these things to my wife. I, I shared with her my struggles. And she said this thing to me. She said, I feel like you need to find a partner that you can work with who understands the pain of an old house to get you past the situation that you're in right now. Thank you. <laughs> yes, that is true. I tend to spiritualize a lot of things, and here's where I feel like we're at that I believe the Lord wants me to share with you. I feel like that we need partners who understand the problem that we're in so that we can get past the pain of our current situation. See, the answer to your problem is found in this life and who you partner with. So I want to go ahead and put a thought in your head, Freedom Church. Some of you have not come to the realization yet, but you're the answer to a problem that you've not even yet begun to ponder. You are the answer to someone's prayer. You are the brick in the hands of the builder. You are the message that has not even yet met the breath of God. The way maker is always making a way, but he wants to use people like you and me who partner with him to make the path clear. For instance, the, the continent that I serve in is Africa with 48 countries that we work in on the continent of Africa. Africa is the most water-scarce continent on the planet. And today we are partnering with people all over the country to dig water wells around the continent of Africa because water is either life or water is death. If water is life, it's because it's clean. If water is death, it's because it's drunk from irresponsible places and desperate sources that lead to scarcity and difficulty with the populations that are drinking it that oftentimes leads to death for those people. Partnership only happens when two groups of people understand the way forward and decide to walk the way forward together. Which means, Freedom Church, that you and I, we're not called to just be spectators on the path. We're called to be participators on the path. It's not that you and I recognize that we're supposed to be a part and to have a heart for missions. It's that we are called to participate with God's heart that is reaching the world and specifically for me, the continent of Africa. It's not that we just hear 
about the struggle at a long distance. It's that we choose to participate in what God is doing to bring change to the local level. Because understand with me, local will always last longer. If you want to make a difference, then make a difference by giving to a missionary whose boot is on the ground, who's doing something because God has called them to do it. Don't just pray that God would send people. Choose to be a church that is being sent by God. Because if God chooses to allow us to be a part of something spectacular, then God can use us together to do those things. See, I'm, I'm a little bit different. In the scripture, the Bible says in Luke chapter number three, it says and he, John the Baptist, went into all the regions around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Notice John the Baptist's job was to go. I'm a little different. I've been going since I was born. When I was two years old, would you go ahead and come play? When I was two years old, my dad had a dream. And in his dream, my dad stepped out of an airplane and he put his foot down at the bottom of the stairs on an asphalt runway. And he looked out across a bay of water on the other side of the bay. There was a mountains that rose up on the mountainside where the mountains met the beach and on those mountains was the city, a city that rose up on the mountains. The next day, my dad went to my mother and he said, I feel like we're called to missions. And I believe that God is showing me the place that we're supposed to go. And my mom laughed. She said, you can go, I'll stay. It took seven years as my dad and my mom started to process life and mission together. Before my mom and dad went and sat in front of a group of men and women talking about missions on the continent of Africa. They started to talk about countries in Africa that needed a missionary. One of them mentioned the country of Sierra Leone in West Africa. My dad said, tell me about that place. He said, well, when you land, you land on a peninsula. When you put your foot down, you look out across the Bay of Water and on the other side of the bay is a city that rises up on the mountains where the mountains meet the beach. In 1989, my mom and dad became missionaries to Sierra Leone in West Africa. I remember my grandparents weeping, standing at the jet bridge, when you could go past the security with people to the gate long before 9-11, I remember my grandparents crying because they didn't understand why we would leave everything to go to a foreign country, to Africa, to a place that we had never been, to reach people with the love of Jesus that we'd never met before. Isn't that what we're all called to do? Aren't we all called to do things for the sake of uncomfortable situations? For the sake of Jesus Christ who calls us to let go of the things that hold us down so that we can throw off the things that hinder us so that we can begin to run the race we've been called to? Isn't that why we are here today? I was living on the go of my parents until 2000. Until I became a student at Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. I would sit on the floor of my dorm room and I would hope that pastors would give me an opportunity because at this point I felt like I was supposed to be an evangelist. At this point I would sit on the floor of my dorm room and I would ask for an opportunity to tell people that God had called me to do something special. And I found out that I was timid. 
But I've learned something about the character and the nature of God. I've learned that God will take your timidity and he will turn your timidity into tenacity. I've learned that God will take your concern and he will turn it into your cause. God will cause you to fall in love with his business. And in case we need a reminder, the business of God has always been about the rescue of lost sons and daughters. At the end of every day, the business of God is that all would come to repentance and experience the love of Jesus Christ. It's not that we just have a church building. It's that the people in the church who are the church themselves leave the building and begin to share the love of Jesus Christ with the world that we're in day in and day out. It's more than just just saying this is who we are it's about showing the world who we truly are not about saying it it's about showing them and and then we planted a church for 12 years we were evangelists then we planted a church and then the lord began to speak to my heart about leaving all of that for the sake of africa missions to go back to a place that i had walked away from as an 18 year old bible college student to go back to a place that had been in my bones but i never thought i would actually be a missionary myself so i want to I want to explain to you very quickly what I was asking my family to let go of. I was asking my family to let go of their friends. I was asking my family to walk away from the church that we had planted in Phoenix. I was asking my family to let go of everything that made them comfortable to embrace the power of 48 countries on the continent of Africa. I was, I was asking God to embrace the idea of people just like you. Let me explain. Let me explain by telling you my final story. I first met KK when she was 18 years old. And when she was 18 years old, she and I became friends. Her life had been very different from mine growing up. In fact, when she was 10 years old, her mom and dad gave birth to a baby boy, her only brother. And her mom and dad were different they would often find themselves out partying on weeknights and my my history with her my story as she began to tell me about what it was like for her really interested me see her dad had become addicted to gambling he'd become so addicted to gambling that three times before she was 15 years old he had lost everything that they had when she was 12 years old, she was invited to church for the very first time. And she was radically changed by Jesus from the very first day. It was when she was 12 years old, she started going to church and inviting her mom and dad to come with her. And every Sunday they were busy, so she went by herself. When she was 16 years old, KK felt like God had been calling her into missions. So she went to her youth pastor and she said, what can I do to get involved in missions? And her youth pastor told her about a ministry within our fellowship called Speed the Light. Speed the Light buys essential communication and transportation tools for missionaries all over the world. I remember what it was like for me to buy a Speed the Light car with my dad, walking with him into a dealership. So she started going to the church when she was 16 and mowing the church parking or driveway, mowing the lawn. You can't mow a driveway. Maybe you can. She started going and mowing the church lawn and other people got involved in projects. And when she was 16 years old, without her mom and dad ever going to church with her, KK gave $10,000 to missions that summer all by herself. When she was 17 years old, she went on her first missions trip to Guatemala. And on the very last night of that amazing missions trip, 
A young lady came down to the altar and, and Keiki went and put her hand on her shoulder and when she did, the Lord spoke to her and said, when you go home, your mom and your dad are going to serve me. She got home the next day overwhelmed. She ran into her dad's room. She took one of her Bibles. She laid it down in front of her Bible and she said, Dad, the Lord told me that you were going to serve him. And he picked up the Bible. He said, every word in this book is a lie. He threw it across the room. But on Sunday, she asked him to go to church. And on Sunday, he was busy. Six months passed until Christmas Eve. She asked her parents to go with her again, and they were still busy, so she went alone. She went alone, and she sat on the very front row. Pastor preached an amazing message. She enjoyed it. God was moving. And then the pastor at the end of the message said, every head bowed and every eye closed. And, and KK did what every single one of us in the room have done before. She bowed her head, but she left that one eye open. If you say you've never done that, you're a liar. <laughs> she left that one eye open. She looked around the room, and when she did, some movement caught her attention across the building. She looked, and there was her mom and her dad walking down the aisle. They came to the altar and they gave their lives to Jesus. The only two people who gave their lives to Jesus on that night. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment what she could have looked at and what she could have said when the Lord told her to give her life to missions. She could have said, there's too many obstacles, God. There's too many roadblocks. There's too much in my life. There's too much difficulty. There's too much pain. My parents don't know you, God. What am I supposed to do? But she did not let the obstacle standing in front of her become the determiner of her future. Never allow the obstacles that stand in front of you dictate how God can use you. Never allow the roadblocks, the, the water, never allow the mountains that stand in front of you be the dictator of what God wants to do in your life. Because today, 18 years later, I've never seen her dad angry. And in the 17 years that she and I have been married, I've never seen her father look at another human being in an angry way after years of abuse, after years of physical and verbal abuse. I've never seen her dad angry. Why? Because when you allow God to use the message that he's put in you, he will change the world through you. He will change the world through you. So today, today as my wife and I have said yes to missions together, we're saying yes to 48 countries in Africa that need a church. We're saying yes to 48 countries on the continent of Africa that need a church plant. We're saying yes to the city of Dakar, Senegal, that is 90% Muslim, that needs people like you to say, together we can do this. Yes. Together we can change the world. We're saying yes to the city of Cape Town, that is one of the most beautiful cities on the face of planet Earth, but still needs a person who would be willing to plant the church. We're saying yes to the nation of Kenya that needs to see over the next 10 years 1,000 new water wells dug just so that the places in the Kenya's most remote villages can experience life through new water wells. Ultimately, I believe that somebody in this room would be willing to say yes to missions today and give your future to a God who is going to cover your past to get you there. I believe that somebody in this room right now under the sound of my voice would say, God, you've been speaking to me and I want to respond like Moses did. I want to respond with yes. See, sometimes I find it difficult to explain what we do. But ultimately at the end of every day, what we do is to believe that 
Perhaps you are just a 17-year-old young lady saying, God, help move my mountains to get me to what you've called me to. God, maybe, maybe I'm a 50-year-old man trying to determine how I live out the dream that you've called me to, even though I find myself in a place I could have never imagined you could use me in. Perhaps you would give God the best that you have and give God yes. See, do we want to see the church planted? Yes. Will we help to raise up church planters? Yes. Are we going to build Bible colleges? Absolutely. Are we going to dig water wells without a doubt? Are we going to be a part of going into pioneering into the deepest, darkest places on the continent of Africa without a doubt? Are we going to take teams of pastors from around America, from Freedom Church, and take you to Africa and expose you to the greatest continent on the planet? Yes. But if I did not, if I did not do my job correctly, then I would walk out the doors of this building and never give an opportunity for somebody in the room to give God the best yes that you have. Because your yes, your yes to God is more important to me than your dollar. Your yes to God is more important to me than your hand clap. Your yes is more important to me than you walking out the door and saying, I felt compelled. Your yes to God now is what I believe God wants to have from you at this moment. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.